Hi, I'm Christine Moore, Jimmy Moore's wife, and I'm here today to tell you about the Nutritional Therapy Association and why I decided to go through their Nutritional Therapy Practitioner Program. I figured, well, this will be a great opportunity for me to maybe possibly be able to help people with their nutritional issues and anything that they might be going through. Just the thought of me having to learn stuff again, it was intimidating. I didn't think that I would be able to do it. I didn't think that I would be able to retain the stuff that I was learning and I would have a hard time on the quizzes and the tests. The NTA is looking for more keto practitioners. They believe in real food. They do not frown upon good, healthy fats. They believe that they should be a healthy part of the diet. The most gratifying part of the program has been getting to meet a bunch of like-minded people who are interested in nutrition. A lot of us came into this program with health issues of our own that we wanted to try to fix. The material that we're learning is just absolutely incredible. I thought I knew a lot about nutrition, but going through this program, there's so much more to it than what I actually knew. We learn about anatomy and physiology, so we learn about how things work in the body how vitamins and minerals affect the body. So it's just been a great program. Anyone should do this program. It's a nine-month program that can pretty much fit into anybody's schedule. I mean, we have people that have children, full-time jobs going through this. So it's very flexible with your schedule. If you're thinking about it and not sure, I would highly recommend you go through it. Join the Nutritional Therapy Association today at nutritionaltherapy.com. Are you frustrated with the breath ketone devices that are on the market today? Well, let me introduce you to the brand new Level Meter. It is a simple, comfortable meter that allows you unlimited measurements for up to two users. It coincides with an Android or an iOS app to both track and trend your breath ketone data. You get detailed results displayed in the app within 15 seconds, and the monthly sensor change and calibration ensure clinical accuracy accuracy on the device. The level meter also gives you a 24-hour snap of your wellness choices, and it's great to note that even if someone is not on a ketogenic diet, elevated fat metabolism will register on the level. Anything over 2 ppm is considered elevated fat metabolism. Now, I've been using this for a little while, and I think you're going to love it too. Go to levelnow.com, that's L-E-V-L-N-O-W.com to get your level today. Now you know. It's time for Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Featuring veteran health podcaster Jimmy Moore and functional medicine practitioner Dr. Will Cole. They're here every Thursday answering your questions about low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic diets. Now, it's time to drop some keto knowledge on Keto Talk. Keto Talk. Here's Jimmy and Will. Hey, hey, guys, we're back here on episode 93 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website, it's ketotalk.com, and we've got a great Facebook page as well. If you haven't been to the Ketonian Corner, head on over to ketotalkfb.com, and you can engage with your fellow Ketonians. But we are here. Happy New Year to you guys, and we're happy to be back. We've been gone a long time, Will, but I'm here each and every Thursday here in the new year with Dr. Will Cole. DrWillCole.com. He's a functional medicine practitioner out of Pittsburgh. What's up, buddy? 
What's up, Jimmy? How 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 was the holidays? How, 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 how what? <laughs> Sorry, it's like we've been off for so long. Break. He forgot how to talk, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, oh. I'll take that. I'll take that one. Yeah, that's all good, man. Yeah, the holidays <laughs> were great. Got to travel to Tennessee as we were talking before we got on the air and seeing family. How about you? Yeah, we normally we go out to California where my wife is from and see that side of the family. Yeah. Um, but this year, everyone came to us. So we had a Ooh. house full of, of everybody from California and Canada and England. So it was fun to see everybody. And they're still they're still here now. <laughs> <laughs> and Pittsburgh will never be the same. <laughs> Well, we're happy to be back, you guys, and uh, we have a great year in store for you guys. I, I think last year, Will, was only the beginning of kind of the, the, the tidal wave that keto has become, and I'm sure we're going to be seeing some headlines here. You know, they always kind of do this retrospective of the previous year and previewing the next year. I'm sur- sure we're going to see some headlines coming up in the coming weeks that'll talk about, you know, what are the diets people are talking about? And all of those, I know, without a doubt, will have to have something to do with keto. Yeah, I think we're, like you said, the, the wave is still growing as people grow into awareness of ketogenic lifestyle. I'm excited to see actually the explosion that I feel is coming over 2018. And the books and projects that I know about behind the scenes that I'm not allowed to talk about. Yes, I, I can confirm that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's hop right back into our format because we do have a nice little format where we talk about some headlines before we get to some questions and a study and more questions and and then end the show. So uh, let's start with the first headline. And these are always headlines that are of interest to the topic of this show. This one's from the Daily Telegraph. Why cutting out carbs is making you fat. And since the evolution of the Atkins diet in the 1970s, there has been a very noisy group advocating that carbohydrates be cut from the diet. Over the past 40 years, the Atkins diet has evolved into many derivatives and one in which we are most familiar being the modern day paleo diet all have the same key theme, cut carbohydrates and you will achieve weight loss and improvements in health. People love it because they see results straight away and the celebrities love it because they can sell products. Clever, yes, but at the detriment of our health. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but Paleo P and all others advocating we stay away from grains are just simply wrong. And of course, it goes on and on and on and on talking about all of the reasons why avoiding carbohydrates. And it's so funny they give credence to Paleo um, because many Paleo people don't cut out all carbohydrates, but I guess the culprit ones are are grains. But it is a guy that's shilling his book, Interval Weight Loss, uh, Dr. Nick Fuller. Do you know Nick Fuller? I don't know him, no. Uh, yeah, this was out of Australia. Australia, and yeah. Know, Pete Evans is kind of like the guy in oh, a, yeah. an Aussie that they attack, you know, one of their own a lot yes. in the media. It's kind of wicked. Yeah, um, and, but, he, and he knows grains. why grains are bad. Why do you think Nick is all in love with them? I think the argument that he's making in the article is fiber. They're saying that cutting out carbohydrates, which you're right, they're they're just basically saying carbohydrates, and they what they mean is grains. Right. And uh, because definitely a paleo diet has lots of different carbohydrate options, um, but the uh, argument that the author of the article that is selling a book in the article is the fact that you're not having fiber, and that is one argument that 
people say, well, I, even patients reactively when I say we're going to have to cut grains out for inflammatory reasons or gut issues or blood sugar issues, that's where they go to. Where am I going to eat my fiber? You know, that's, that's amazing need, to me. Yeah. I mean, um, we know this, but the, a calorie to calorie basis that green vegetables, green leafy vegetables, non-starchy vegetables, vegetables as a whole have more fiber than grains. So if fiber is going to be your argument, you actually get more fiber from vegetables and a lot more nutrients that the grains don't have. I mean, well, just is this like, an education issue? Is it is just pure ignorance that people don't realize vegetables are a great source of fiber? Yeah, I don't think that they know because I think a lot of it in, in my mind is the advertising on TV and that's sort of the the get your fiber from this whole grain bread and right. from your oatmeal and all this stuff. I think that a lot of it has to do with brilliant advertising of the grain industry over a long period of time that they associate and equate grains with fiber. And that's your source of fiber. So right. if you're not having grains, you're not getting fiber. And that I think is down to really brilliant marketing of the grain industry. But I mean, if you look, just two pieces of whole wheat bread has only about four grams of fiber. And then you, to compare that to two cups of broccoli has about nine grams of fiber. Well, I this mean, is why they have the eight to 12 servings of whole grains at the bottom of the food pyramid back right. in the day. You had to, to get enough fiber yeah. I mean, again, you're not getting you're, you're getting not getting all the nutrients that are in these vegetables as well, that really the grains are devoid of. And they have right. to sort of inject well, these vitamins because they are right. so nutrition less. Well, there's the bugaboo about whole grains as well. They always say, well, you've got to eat your whole grains because we fortify them <laughs> with these yeah. minerals and nutrients that your body needs. I'm thinking, why don't you get those minerals and nutrients in their more, more whole form from the real foods that contain them? Yeah, it's just I, I don't understand it really. Yeah, it's pretty basic. I mean, if just we have to look at the fiber content of vegetables, you're going to get more fiber from vegetables. So if that's the one reason why you're saying people should be eating grains, I mean, come on. I mean, this is just basic math. You're going to get more fiber from from plant foods and of from course vegetables. You, absolutely, and of course, you really want to be controversial. You could say, well, I don't think we need as much fiber as we think we do. Right. There's a lot of yeah, people I mean, that they, say that now. Gut health wise, yes, you need a modicum of them to feed the the health uh, the healthy bacteria in your gut. But at the end of the day, do we need gobs and gobs and gobs of fiber from inflammatory sources like whole grains? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I it is. It's a very uh, incomplete viewpoint and it's almost this sort of reactionary view of it it's like the people get very irritated the fact that we just bring the fact that you're getting more fiber from vegetables it's almost offensive to some people and it's i don't understand are you growing wheat is this like a personal hobby of yours why is it so offensive just to talk about that you get more fiber from vegetables <laughs> you know what this seems like to me is people are saying well eggs are good so therefore eat chocolate cake it's got eggs in it. So what's wrong with eating the <laughs> eggs in that form? That's how I see yeah. whole grains yeah. with this whole fiber yeah. argument. Well, you know, it's got the fiber in it as if you can't just eat the good sources of the fiber. And same with the egg with the chocolate cake example. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great example, actually. Yeah. It's it's something that 
and people are they're wanting to do the right thing. So they're reading these articles and they're thinking, yeah, you're right. I need to get my fiber. So yeah. they're just they're just trying to do the right thing and all this conflicting information out there. It's really frustrating for people. And in 2018, it's shocking to me. We're still having this debate. Yeah. But I guess mm-hmm. everybody has to peddle a book every once in a while that has a contrarian view. I think those books are on the way out, though, Will. I think more and more people are seeing through that message. And, you know, you, you see it at the top of the bestsellers list. It's the paleo books. It's the keto books. It's the people talking about real food, not these nonsensical ones that pushes the same old, same old we've heard for decades. Right. And I feel like if the books that are going to stay popular that aren't like sort of this antiquated uh, view, I think that they'll obviously I think some of them are going to have grains in them, but they're not going to make it such a central point that you need this to be healthy. They're going to say, yes, if you want to have rice or whole grains like have it, but it's not the sort of this paramount imperative that you you need to have this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the next health health headline. This one comes from CNN. Why am I not losing weight? That is the question du jour right now in New Year's resolution time, isn't it? So uh, the correspondent, Dr. Melina Jampolis, she says weight loss is still incredibly challenging for most people as evidenced by the growing global obesity epidemic. And according to the latest Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Statistics, more than two out of three U.S. adults are now overweight, which is a BMI over 25. And of those, 36.5% fall into the obese category, which is a BMI over 30. Many people also want to lose weight. And according to a recent study in the uh, Journal of the American Medical Association, about half of overweight and obese adults report they are actively trying to lose weight, which is why my patients often ask, why aren't I losing weight? So she goes on and on to talk about some of the reasons why. And I'm curious, since you see patients on a daily basis, literally around the world, uh, if any of these resonate. So uh, you have calorie amnesia, where you you don't realize how many calories you are consuming. You relax your diet too much on the weekends. And I would add, since we just came out of the season, holidays, (laughs) your medication is working against you. You eat too much of a good thing. Your body is resistant to insulin. I was so happy to see that one in there. What do you think about this list that this uh, Dr. Jampolis came up with? I thought the list was very thoughtful. For a CNN article, we expect sort of very basic, generic stuff. Yes. I thought that this was very pretty thoughtful things. And it's actually all the, the things mentioned in the article are things that I do see clinically that we have to tweak uh, to achieve, in this case, uh, weight loss resistance or losing weight. But yeah. it could be applied to a lot of different biomarkers or health goals that we're trying to improve. Um, calorie amnesia, I've never heard it termed that way, but I actually <laughs> think it's quite That's pretty good. poignant. Yeah, I think a lot of people are, especially if they're not eating real foods, they are, think that they're doing good things and they think that they're eating cleaner and it's all relative to what they're used to doing. Yeah. But from a caloric standpoint, you know, if you're stuck at a plateau, sometimes people are getting a lot more calories in than what their their metabolic base, you know, they're, they're, they're actually eating too much food for, the, for their goals. Basically. You know what I would say instead of amnesia is delusion. Yeah, because some people think they're only getting, oh, I'm only getting 1600. And then you actually write it all down and they don't count snacks. They don't count this and they don't count that. And it just adds up. 
Yeah, it is. And we obviously know the, the quality of calories is very important. And this is a quite a detailed discussion. Yes. But just in the context of calories and the amount of food that you're eating. And a lot of people think, too, it's real food, so I can just eat as much as I want. And I think that a lot of times people are fine and their body will curb their appetite. And they uh, it, basically the real food will make them full and they won't overeat. But that's not say to everybody. So um, it is actually good. I mean, the, the, the uh, recommendation in the article was to use a food tracking app which i do find helpful which one do you like i like um my fitness pal my fitness pal yeah yeah my fitness pal is good there is good yeah there's good keto apps out there too that i really like too yeah which which ones uh i think the one that i use is just called the keto app the keto app because people ask me that one all the time i'm not an app tracker of my food every time i do that will I feel like I'm dieting again. And I I get it. When you first start, it's a good tool. But when you've done it a while, it's almost better just to you you trust your instincts. Okay, I'm I'm full. I'm I'm satiated. So I don't have to keep tracking it all over time. Now, obviously, I've done this a very long time. If you're just starting and you just found this show, please use an app like that because it will help you. Yeah. So in the my fitness pal, you have to change the macros because it's gonna tell you you've eaten too much fat and all of that stuff. So you have to adjust it manually. Right. But in the keto app, you need to up more your whole grains. <laughs> yeah, right. So but you use it more from the database right. than like taking the guesswork out of it. But I would agree with you. I don't prefer patients. If it can get away with not logging, I'd rather them not. I don't want it to be people to become obsessive about foods. And it's really honestly, for the most part, it's a lot of times when we're switching to a better way of eating, the Patient's not eating enough, but mm. but though although it's, it's there's the opposite problem too. So it's just about being more mindful of where your food's coming from. But just like you said, once you get the hang of it, then it's like second nature. You know more or less the macros and what you feel like when you eat a certain way. You're just more intuitive as a as a lifestyle and instead of it being another diet that you're trying, it's it's just second nature to you. But yeah, so apps can be good. Another things that they mentioned in the article is that you relax too much on the weekends, which. I think a lot of times people do because they're still in this sort of dieting mentality yes. and it's not a way of life. It's well, sort Tim Ferriss kind of prop, uh, promulgated this one when he came out with his, what was it, four-hour body or whatever it was, the diet book that he wrote. And he mentioned, oh, yeah, just just go crazy on the weekends and just stay tight during the week. I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and look, and some people can get away with it, but there are a lot of people that are listening. We no, hate those people, is, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Us insulin-resistant uh, people hate those people. Yeah, right. This cannot be, I guess, the people that I'm talking to the most, this is not just a weight loss. This is like, there's hormonal problems, there's gut problems, there's inflammatory problems that's really keeping the weight weight on. They can't just do it during the week and just do whatever on the weekend. They have to make this a lifestyle um, to see the results they're looking for and making a sustainable change in their life. Um, but yeah, they don't have the wiggle room that some people have, you know, um, and medications. I love that they mentioned this on a oh, CNN article. They mentioned my mom is dealing with this right now. She's taking prednisone and has to with this myostinia gravis she's dealing with. And every time they try to take her off of it, it's all come back. She's been hospitalized again. So she's kind of yeah. uh, her lot in life is taking prednisone. And of course, I put her on keto last year. She did phenomenally well, bringing her A1C down by two whole points. It was incredible. She's no longer taking the diabetes medications, but that medication, that prednisone is going to plague her weight loss efforts for the rest of her life. Um, And so I'm encouraging her to look at the health gains, not so much the weight loss anymore. 
Yeah, it amazes me how many people are doing the good thing. They're trying to trust their doctor and they don't even look at the side effects, least of all weight gain. I mean, there's some really a lot more serious yes. potential side effects. But I mean, the ones that are listening, listing in the article, Benadryl, Ambien, antidepressants, some antidepressants, some antipsychotic medications, Paxil, beta blockers, several diabetes medications, which you just mentioned, yep. insulin. I mean, these medic contraception, like birth control pills are one of the side effects is making it really difficult to lose weight and or weight gain. So it's, um, people need to look at what they're taking and have a conversation with their doctor. If they're telling you, you know, just go home and lose some weight, but you're given medications that make you gain weight. I mean, how's that working out for anybody? And they like, have a link there, by the way, you guys in the article. So go to the show notes at ketotalk.com. Within this article, it says there's a full list of medications that may cause weight gain. And you can click on that and go check it out because maybe you're taking something that is making it harder. Yeah, it is. It's a common culprit that I find for people that they have these maybe a weight gain, but they have other symptoms too. And it's actually from side effects of medications or they're worsened from, you know, they're aggravated from the medications as well. So another thing they mentioned in the article was eating too much of a good thing. I definitely see this too, where yes. they're trying to do the healthy thing. They're just overdoing it and their body's still not getting the message to eat until satiety. They're still just not feeling that because of maybe leptin resistance or just prolonged dieting, their metabolism so out of whack that they are eating too much calorically for what they're trying to achieve as far as weight goals are concerned. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing was insulin resistance, which we know it makes it very difficult for most people with insulin resistance to lose weight easily. It's, it's, a, it's a major impediment. We hammer that one week after week after week because <laughs> your co-host deals with this to the nth yeah. degree. <laughs> Yeah, but Never. they gave some good suggestions. Again, kudos to CNN and this yes. doctor article because, I mean, it's actually good advice. It wasn't Sanjay Gupta that did that article. So yeah. <laughs> that made it halfway decent. So no offense, Sanjay. But OK, so let's move on to the next one. It is from the Daily Mail. Is this why Kim Kardashian and Rihanna are fans? Keto diet burns 10 times more fat than a standard diet, even without Exercise finds a study, controversial low-carb eating plan is high in fat, advocates moderating your protein. Researchers studied people who have or are at risk of type 2 diabetes, and it was the keto group that saw significantly better results even without doing any exercise. They were compared to those on a standard diet with and without exercise, and the keto dieters had lower body weight, body fat percentage, and BMI, also had lower blood sugar levels, as well as more ketones, which break down fat. So pretty good little article talking about a study. I'm trying to see where it was published, which journal it's not immediately becoming apparent which journal it's in, but it's researchers out of Bethel University in Minnesota, and they studied 30 women and men between 18 and 65. All have been diagnosed with metabolic syndrome, prediabetes, and or type 2 diabetes. But this was pretty good that we're seeing, like we said at the beginning of the show, oh, here it is, diabetes and metabolic syndrome is the journal it was in. Um, we're seeing more and more, not just like cultural headlines coming out in the mainstream. We're actually seeing research looking at keto. It's exciting, Will. Yeah, it was neat to see. I mean, they said the resting metabolic rate of the people who ate a ketogenic diet, uh, it said uh, their body burns energy when it was complete rest is what the metabolic rate is, was more than 10 times those who ate the standard diet. Why so, is that? Yeah, it's a... 
but it's, I mean, obviously the body is just more metabolically, there has more metabolic flexibility and metabolisms in more of a fat burning state versus being in a sugar burning state, which most diets, even though, you know, they can lose some weight, it is not as efficient because you're basically just uh, banking on the fact that you're either doing caloric restriction or you are eating cleaner, which are both can be on assets of weight loss. But the fact that you can actually shift your meta metabolism to being a, a keto adapted, it makes everything more effortless as a general rule. So and this is cool too. to see it. Yeah. It's cool to see it in the, in the studies and also the Daily Mail. We love the Daily Mail uh, picking up <laughs> on this as well. Well, and I love that they invoke the names of famous people because if somebody's a fan of Rihanna or a fan of the Kardashians, they'll go, oh, yeah. well, they're doing it. Let me try it. Even though they don't know the science behind it, the fact that one of their idols is doing it. Hey, I don't yeah. care how they find keto. If it benefits them, you know. They'll thank Kim and, and Rihanna later, but <laughs> but it would yeah. be great that they that they found this and maybe they find this show and maybe they, you know, read all the plethora of keto books that are out there now. So pretty neat. Yeah. So let's move on to the next headline. This one's out of the Miami Herald. Do not eat your veggies if they are grown in your front yard, Miami Shores says. Now, this one struck a nerve with me uh, because I have a front yard garden, uh, Will. And so, <laughs> so when I read about how this couple is growing, uh, you know, all kinds of things in their front yard uh, outside of their Miami Shores, Florida house, um, they were able to uh, not or they were not able. Sorry, I was trying to read it and talk at the same time. That's not recommended to read and talk at the same time uh, unless you're reading what you're saying or saying what you're reading. <laughs> yes. OK. Vegetables <laughs> are not allowed there. Well, what are they doing? They're not allowing people to grow. And I'm trying to see what was their reasoning why you couldn't grow vegetables in the front yard. Um, but this local government municipality threatened them with a $50 a day fine after they had uh, amended their original ordinance in 2013. So these guys had to dig up their front yard garden. Uh, but the problem was they didn't have adequate sunlight in their backyard or they would have put it in their backyard. Um, the reason we put ours in our front yard is because we have chickens in the backyard and they would eat the thing to death. And we've seen that they do that. So <laughs> what would you think about this one? Yeah, it's kind of sad, really. I'm sure there's reasons on a government side, like local government that they have. I'm sure there's a reasoning that they say. But the reality is, I mean, these are people's private property. I just think yeah. that's they're not causing some unsightly eyesore where it's going to ruin the image of whatever neighborhood they're in. I mean, this is just plants. This is not unsightly. Um, but this person said they had the garden for 17 years. Wow. They ate fresh meals every day. Yes. And then the quote is, since the village stepped its big foot in it they have ruined our garden and my health is really what they said strong statement but i yes. mean yeah i mean if they're eating this way for 17 years they're growing their own vegetables i mean i don't want to get super political but this is a really an example oh, go ahead. In my let's mind. just get controversial to start the year <laughs> it's just an overreach it's an overreach yeah. it's a local government overreach it's it's i mean what's what sense there's so many bigger problems in local governments and obviously federal governments where they're going to police people's yards and say they can't grow, 
you know, a tomato or spinach. It's crazy. I mean, I Um, think it's beautiful. People, when I drive by a house here in South Carolina and I see see somebody has a front yard garden uh, with full of vegetables, I'm just like, wow, there's somebody that cares about their health. You know what happened when we started our garden and we've put little fancy schmancy uh, fencing around it and make it look all beautiful. It's not just out in the open. Um, And so once we started doing ours, everybody around us started growing their own vegetables. So wow, that's proud of cool. That. Uh, that's awesome. It's changing the culture. It's in making this sort of way of life of being mindful of your food and using your yard more functionally instead of having this big lawn of, you know, islands and and gr- all this uh, landscaping stuff. Let's actually make it more functional. To be honest with you, I think uh, there may come a day in the United States and in the Western world as a whole where we're going to be forced to be more functional with the space we have anyway. Yes. But – they were fined $50 a day. I mean, this is the state of affairs, <laughs> fining people for wanting to eat healthy, even though the local government and the government as a whole are literally being, going bankrupt, paying for people's chronic diseases. And you have a family that actually is trying to take responsibility for health and lower the cost yes. of, of, of that, that's taxing our society. And they're being punished for it. That's what's it's most disgusting. A- yes. Yeah, it's really horrible. But I mean, hopefully we, we have a wake up call where people are pushing back and and maybe maybe move out of the city. It's like you're going to <laughs> live in a city like this. It's like I'm going to support a city like that. Um, but anyways, we, we can grow gardens in Pittsburgh as far as I know. Well, so. except right now when it's like three degrees. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not growing anything right now. Yeah, just, we're, just no. Yeah, mine's, mine's gathering uh, weeds for the winter. So. <laughs> <laughs> Although what we're doing, we're going to um, solve the backyard problem where all the chickens used to eat our vegetables. We're putting a greenhouse in, hopefully sometime this year. Uh, already talked to a contractor about getting that built. And so we're excited to be able to maybe grow our vegetables year round and get them out of sight. And I'm still going to do the front yard one. I'd be danged if they come to me and say, you can't grow your front yard garden anymore. Uh, <laughs> because that's it's yeah. such a part of our culture now of who we are. We've done it four or five years now. And so uh, I couldn't imagine doing it any other way. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I love it when our patients are doing that. It's just it's connecting to something that's important. People, we need to be more aware of the foods we're getting from and it's cost effective. And there's so many benefits to it for on a local level, but also a federal level. The ripple effect of people growing their own foods is a good thing for our society. And our favorite part every year, Will, is, okay, we plant tomatoes and green beans and cauliflower and all that stuff every year, but it's trying new things. So this year or last year, uh, we, for the first time, planted cantaloupe just to see what would happen. And we got about six, you know, nice cantaloupe, real cantaloupes. They're smaller than those big plump ones you get in the grocery store. So it's always kind of fun to see what what these real uh, fruits and vegetables actually look like when you grow them on your own. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we have one more headline, and this one is also out of the UK. Doctors should make more effort to reduce surgery on patients. Doctors need to do much more to reduce the number of unnecessary operations and drugs that they give patients, according to leading cardiologist Dr. Asim Mahaltra, who says too much surgery is costing the NHS billions of pounds. 
that's a lot of money. Uh, and so he said financial inducements, enjoyment of performing the procedure and the pressure to keep up numbers of cases for individual cardiologists and hospitals all contribute to this overuse. The London-based NHS consultant cites the number of cases of angioplasty, a minimally invasive procedure. It helps to improve the blood supply to your heart muscle by widening narrowed coronary arteries as just one area that needs to be investigated. Now, he goes on and on to talk about all of this, but I know this is one reason Dr. William Davis uh, uh, also used to do a lot of these surgeries, and he got out of doing it. Um, Dr. Dwight Lundell, another famous heart surgeon, got out of doing it because they were just sick and tired of seeing innocent people having these procedures that really don't have any bearing uh, on their health. Um, and, and it's the go-to, I guess, is the thing, Will, that all these guys, that they do this as the first option, not the last resort. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Mahaltra, we both know, yep. obviously, he's doing awesome things. I know him through Mind Body Green, but he said he has this campaign called Too Much Medicine Campaign Yes, uh, by the British Medical Journal. I love this. He said that doctors should be financially rewarded for carrying out a simple shared decision-making conversation with patients, not on the volume of operations yes. or prescription of more medication. He said, which is ethically dubious at best. Mm. And I Preach. think that he's doing a lot of cool things for sure. Oh, he I sticks mean, his I, neck out so much. Yeah. I wish we had yes. an Asim Mahaltra that was that, forgive the term, but that ballsy to do that here in yeah. America. Yeah, he is brave, man. He, I saw a post on uh, Facebook or Facebook friends and he said that this is like a basically a badge of honor that he's being attacked by like some of the conventional medicine you know authorities but here's the thing he doesn't book. care he no, he, he, doesn't he has care. right on his side he he's saying not things that are uh, not grounded in research. He's He's got all the evidence behind him and he's a good looking guy. He's very eloquent speaking. So bring it is what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, he has his facts. He's well thought. He's a good speaker. So it is, a, I think, amazing thing. Why don't we start rewarding doctors for encouraging health instead of subsidizing and encouraging operations and surgery and pharmaceutical drugs? Yeah. I love the chief executive of this, the King's Fund. He said, involving patients in decisions about their care is not only the right thing to do, but also it can help ensure resources are used wisely. And, you know, man, oh man, we talk about healthcare costs being so high, you know, that would cut healthcare costs. We wouldn't have a healthcare crisis if we just took some of these basic common sense shared decision, um, you know, type of things going on and, and, you know, apply them to our system. You know, the NHS has their issues, but man, oh man, America has bigger issues. Yeah. The the statistic they put in the article, this it was from this Dr. Sir, Sir as well, Bruce Keogh. He's the medical director for NAH, NHS England, their sort of healthcare system. Um, he was also a former cardiac surgeon. He said that around one in seven of all medical and surgical treatments in the UK should not have been carried out on patients. Wow. So all I mean, that's probably a conservative number. Yeah, 1.8 billion a year. That's amazing. Yeah. Pounds a year. Wow. Mm. Well, we're doing our part to get people to look at other things. And of course, from a functional medicine uh, perspective, that's your wheelhouse. You're you're trying to get people off of medications as much as possible, not anti-medication, but at the appropriate time. 
Yeah, it's it's finding them the most effective option that causes them the least amount of side effects. That's the criteria for a, a healthcare option uh, as far as the functional medicine perspective of that. And sometimes we know, obviously, sometimes pharmaceuticals fit that description. They are their best option that's causing them the least amount of side effects. So I'm not demonizing us to go sort of abhor all pharmaceuticals, but I don't think you can look within the system and obviously us that's outside the standard model of care can look at what's going on today and say, that well, this is completely appropriate. It's right. not appropriate at all. It's out of hand. And obviously it's, it's, it's a detriment to our health, but as we're talking about throughout this whole episode, it's also a detriment to, you know, financially, this system can't hold the weight. It's bankrupting the UK, it's bankrupting the United States and Canada, and the list goes on and on. We cannot continue to subsidize sick care. It is, it will be our undoing financially. Yeah. Well, kudos to Dr. Asim Mahaltra, who you and I do both know personally. He's doing great work there in the UK and, and actually around the world. He gets to go speak at, at various conferences. So keep up the good work, Asim. And we'll be right back, you guys. Would you like to win five free keto meals from Pete's Paleo? Go to the show notes section at ketotalk.com for your chance to win five free keto meals. Now, Pete's Paleo is 100% strict paleo adherence with organic, pastured, grass-fed, non-GMO foods. They also have seasonal menus that give you the right nutrition to stay healthy throughout the year. There's no prepping, no cooking, and no shopping. And Pete's Paleo is trusted by all the top influencers in the health community. So once again, go to the show notes section and enter for a chance to win five free keto meals from Pete's Paleo. How would you like to test your blood ketones for just $1 per strip? Join the Keto Clarity Club at bestketonetest.com for the Keto Mojo blood ketone and blood glucose testing. And join the club to get $1 strips when purchased in vials of 50. You get to choose how often that they will ship to you and you'll still get that $1 price per strip. And while you're at bestketonetest.com, make sure you get the meter. And we also have glucose strips sold in vials of 50 and you'll get $5 off with the coupon code JIMMY. There's also the Ketonian Special Kit, which allows you to get the meter, Lancet, as well as a starter pack of blood ketone test strips. Again, it's bestketonetest.com for the Keto Mojo blood ketone and blood glucose testing. Bestketonetest.com. We're back here on Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole, and we are so privileged to be able to be here. We're back. We've been gone for so long. It feels like, you know, we're kind of getting our, our feet back under us again uh, after taking a, a long period of time off. But we're happy to be here all throughout 2018 for you guys answering your questions about low-carb, moderate-protein, high-fat, ketogenic diets. And we have a good one to start the brand-new year, Will. This one's from Michelle. Love you guys and Keto Talk. I have a question that's been bugging me because I haven't found an adequate answer to it yet. 
What exactly is the science behind why carbohydrates, even the so-called whole food ones, make my joints hurt? And why does eating keto cure this joint pain? I love that I have a natural cure for this annoying issue, but I'd really like to know why. Thanks so much for what you're doing, Michelle. So, Michelle, you get a great question to start the new year because this is something that I think a lot of people probably are thinking about, Will. Why do all carbohydrates seem to wreak havoc on my joints And what exactly does keto do to make that pain go away? So there's a few factors here that are at play. And I think they all work synergistically to bring about the fact that you just have less pain, uh, noticing less pain and having less pain. So the first thing is you're avoiding the foods that are inflammatory. So that's one aspect of it. Uh, You're avoiding, you mentioned carbohydrates. And I think what we're talking again, just like I said at the top of the show, that I think we're talking about grains here mainly uh, when you're saying you're avoiding them on a ketogenic diet, which they do contain carbohydrates. Um, So the sugar is inflammatory. But again, you can have other sources of carbohydrates, too, that can also fuel pain. Um, So any other higher carb uh, food, even fruits, uh, can, for some people, drive up inflammation levels to the point of them noticing the pain. Is it the fructose that's doing that? Yeah, that would be mainly the fruit sugar, the fructose, and the other fruit sugars there. So that's going to drive inflammatory cascades in the body. The person doesn't have much of a fructose tolerance or a sugar tolerance as a as a whole. Then there is the protein aspect of it. So it's not a carb, it's the protein found in the grain, like the lectins and the phytic acid. So these proteins, these lectins and and, and so forth, the phytates, are pro-inflammatory as well, which is, is again, the protein, not the a carbohydrate in the grain. Is that which the gliadin also, as well? Gliadin, the pro, one of the proteins? Yeah. Yeah, gliadin, gliadin, and the gluten, all of those proteins are pro-inflammatory too. Yes, we can't mention we have to mention gluten too. It's like the G, G word around of course. wellness world. Yeah. But it's like all, not just gluten. It's a lot, a lot, a lot of these um, proteins are pro-inflammatory too. So you're avoiding those. Um, going back to sugars too, FODMAPs, grains can be higher in FODMAP sugars. And some people have FODMAP intolerances too. So there's that aspect of it. So you're avoiding those foods, but also that are inflammatory, which is what the cause of the joint pain is. And then on the other side of it, we know the ketones, while not only you know, metabolic fuel, they are anti-inflammatory. So they drive down these pro-inflammatory pathways and they upregulate all of these antioxidant, AMPK, NRF2, all these funny sounding acronym, basically increasing these pro antioxidant, anti-inflammatory pathways in the body. So you're getting two benefits there. You're avoiding pro-inflammatory foods and you're eating something that's going to provide your body the metabolic fuel to then bring more anti-inflammatory properties into your body. And I would think the insulin lowering effect kind of works synergistically with all the things that you just talked about. Yeah, absolutely. So it's just all part of that shifting the body to be more of a pro-inflammatory state to an anti-inflammatory state. So yeah, you're getting a lot of different cool, different pathway benefits from being in nutritional ketosis. Well, Michelle, I hope that explains things for you. And uh, at this point, you're doing better. You're feeling better. Good for you. I'm so proud of you. I think that's, you know, it's a beautiful thing when you kind of start this way of eating and then you go, wait a minute. 
didn't I used to have like a nagging pain in my joints and it's gone? It's that's I guess that's the pay dirt for you as a as a doctor. Will is you get to hear those stories. I had no idea. I know um, Eric Westman when he started doing studies on the Atkins diet, people would spontaneously report things to him that they weren't even looking at in the research. But things like heartburn got better, and people just would say, you know, I, I used to have heartburn bad and I don't get it anymore. And so it's those side benefits, and it's that it, I guess it's what makes it stick for a lot of people. They get the those benefits that they didn't realize they were going to get. Yeah, I think that a lot of times people are motivated by losing weight, but they're not realizing all the other things that can come as a result of being in ketosis in being just generally just not having the inflammation that they were experiencing before, even though, you know, joint pain can be definitely a motivating factor for a lot of people because it is no funny business. No. People are going through that. So that, that that's another reason why people I find want to find ways to naturally bring down inflammation because it can be crippling. Yeah, I've got a new lecture I'll be giving at various places this year that's called Beyond Weight Loss, All the Health Benefits that Come from Being in a State of Nutritional Ketosis. So real excited to maybe shift the discussion. I've been working on it the past couple of years, kind of trying to shift that discussion away from obsessively looking at weight loss, not that it's not important, but that there are so many great health benefits that if you blink, you might miss a few of them. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. People need to know about that. That's right. Well, let's get to today's featured study, and this one's out of USA Today. Cinnamon may help attack fat, fight obesity, study finds. University of Michigan research finds that an essential oil in cinnamon will attack fat cells and could be used as a treatment in the fight against obesity. The research found that the oil, help me with that word, how, how do you say that? Uh, cinnamaldehyde? Yeah, cinnamaldehyde. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just looked at it and went, uh, will help. Uh, boost <laughs> your metabolic health by prodding fat cells to start burning energy. This is a process known as thermogenesis. The lead researcher says cinnamon has been part of our diets for thousands of years. People generally enjoy it. So if it can help protect against obesity too, it may offer an approach to metabolic health that is easier for patients to adhere to. So it goes on and on talking about this uh, journal article that was in Metabolism in December. My only danger in this when you start talking positively about cinnamon is people will think, well, well I'll just go have a cinnamon roll and they'll take care of all my obesity problems. So <laughs> I think people need to kind of be educated on how to use cinnamon in this way without getting the carbohydrates in the process. Yeah. Yeah. You would think they would intuitively know not to have the cinnamon button. Oh, I, well, I don't give people it. that much credit. <laughs> I don't. No, I was going to say it amazes me like they think they're doing the they're doing right by their health by having things because they read and you know they read this and then they think okay i can get cinnamon in any way and it's going to be fine but yeah it's definitely i i see it as like a synergistic tool that we use definitely from a from a metabolic standpoint, it's been showing improved blood sugar levels. So it's a food medicine. It is something that we've used for years in the alternative world. We definitely yes. use it a lot in functional medicine. So it is, uh, they also mentioned green tea in the article too. Yes. So these are two ways to improve th thermogenesis or basically improve the metabolic uh, rate of the body. Yeah, I use it, uh, cinnamon, as a supplement along with chromium, uh, and uh, berberine, all these things to kind of help manage blood sugar insulin levels um, that can all be helpful 
Um, you know, because some people say, well, I tried cinnamon and it didn't really do anything. And I, I think sometimes you have to kind of find the right dosage, number one, and the right mix of things that will help you. So if, if you've tried cinnamon, well, that didn't do anything, you know, maybe tinker around with it a little bit, you know, add some other things like I talked about uh, and we talk about often here on this show. And I think you'll find that proper balance that will help you regulate your blood sugar. Yeah. Again, your wheelhouse, Mr. Functional Medicine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to today's featured questions. And we got some really good ones. They were itching for us to be back. So uh, we got some great ones to start the new year. Jeff has the first featured question. Hi, guys. I love the show. And I especially love your passion for this topic. I have a question for you to address that is a bit concerning. My wife and I are both 55 years old and in very good health. We went paleo a couple of years ago and became fully keto last year. My wife had blood work done recently that showed her white blood cell count was very low at 2.9. So he gave us the graph of his numbers. In looking back at one of her pre-keto labs from 2015, her WBC was low at the time as well at 4.1, but now it's dropped into the, quote, very low, in quote, range of 2.9 since going fully keto. So is there a relationship between being in a state of nutritional ketosis and low white blood cell count? Do you have any recommendations on how to boost her white blood count? Um, should I increase her protein? Thank you for all you do. Jeff. So Jeff has a question. Why did my white blood cell count drop to very low levels since I went keto? And what can I do to get them back up again? Mm -hmm. So the white blood cells aspect of your immune system. So when you see it typically high, it's a state of inf inflammation, but it's again, subject to a lot of things in our body, the Goldilocks principle, you don't want it too high, you don't want it too low, you just want it just right. Mm -hmm. So too low is not good. I so chronic infection patterns uh, can be at play there too when the immune system sort of taxed and imbalanced the opposite way, which isn't good either. So my mind goes to a lot of different downstream effects there. Why? Almost seeing that as a check engine light. Well, why is the white blood cell count low? Uh, is there something going on in the gut? Is there something, a viral issue going on here? Is there some sort of latent chronic infection going on there? As it relates specifically to ketogenic diet, there I have seen studies in the past where they have seen this mainly, I think it was in uh, epileptic uh, research in children in seizure uh, research is seeing uh, this phenomenon of lower blood count, white blood count. Uh, in people that are eating a ketogenic diet and they the research that is out there has looking at nutritional deficiencies as a potential culprit for this low white blood count specifically vitamin d and vitamin C mm -hmm. and vitamin A. So C, D, and A, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin A are all directly related to the immune system and white blood cell count production and activity in the body, healthy sort of white blood count balance in the body. So what I would recommend for the person asking the question is to get blood work done to look at mainly in this case, vitamin D, which is typically easily done, but you also can run like more functional medicine type labs. So, I mean, we drop ship 
these labs, people all over the place. But vitamin D, you're going to get have to get through your doctor. You can get through your doctor. Spectracell, there's other labs out there where you can look at like the nutrients of the cells and seeing if you have any mineral deficiency or vitamin deficiency that could be causing that as well. And then supplement accordingly. But vitamin D typically is the mo- probably the most common one. And you can just get that tested. You want it to be 60 to 80, uh, the vitamin D3 level and uh, supplement accordingly. And if you're going to supplement and anybody that's going to supplement anything above 2000 IUs, I would recommend getting that your vitamin D tested every couple of months, like every three months, probably, because at that point, you want to make sure that you're not going too high, um, which can be a problem, too. And there's ways to mitigate the vitamin D um, toxicity levels, like pairing it with vitamin K2 or the other fat soluble vitamin, which is sort of a, they synergistically work, which, and we know vitamin K2 has lots of other benefits too that people need. But that's some things to consider. But there's also uh, beyond nutrient deficiencies, we want to kind of do a full functional medicine blood chemistry analysis to see if there's something else going on here. I mean, is there a viral issue going on? Is it unrelated to ketosis that um, is, you're just noticing it now? Well, and you mentioned maybe increasing her protein. What would that do, if anything? Yeah, I, I would. That wouldn't be high on my list. As and I think people have that concern um, because they are used to eating more protein. Yeah. And then the fact that they are being more cognizant of moderating their protein, they get scared. They're probably thinking of its impact on the immune system. Yeah. I mean, being completely not having any protein can do a number. It's dangerous on the immune system. Right. But I'm assuming your standard ketogenic diet. If anything, it's probably going too high on the protein amount. I rarely see it too low. Yeah. Now, it was interesting. She had this white blood count that was moderately low before, but then it went lower. Maybe it was already trajectorying in that direction, and keto just happened to be uh, the yeah. time that it went lower. So I wouldn't necessarily say that going keto made it go lower, but it, but it is interesting as an observation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you are when you're getting rid of all these immunoreactive foods and you're not I mean, they were paleo before they were ketogenic. But if you're going off these foods that are inflammatory, you can have I could see this in theory, having a rebound response where your immune system is sort of reacclimating to this way instead of being overactive. Now it's underactive and it may with time equal out and be fine and just sort of this this acclimating period of the immune system rebalancing so it's important to kind of track these things but in the meantime i don't think you should just sit there and watch it being low let's dig in a little bit deeper and see if there's anything else going on there that you can um, improve it now instead of waiting mm-hmm. well thank you jeff and uh, will did you notice on these test results i'd never seen this before i've seen a lot of test results uh doing this over the years, but I'd never seen one where it showed the results and then it showed ideal, which you might call functional range, and then it had mm-hmm. average, which was a wider range, although some of the, the ideal range I, I didn't agree with. For example, triglycerides. Uh, well, no, the triglycerides was fine. What, which one? Well, oh, it was glucose. There it was. Glucose was like 85 to 100 as the ideal range, but the average right. is 70 to 110. Did, did you like that? I haven't seen that before. Yeah, I see it more and more because most of my patients, they've already been to tons of doctors before yep. they get to me. So I get to see all these random labs with all these different ways of monitoring stuff. So I've pretty much seen any lab out there. But sure. yeah, I've seen more and more functional labs out there, functional leaning labs, I should say, right. where they want to 
to educate the patient through their labs what the ideal rate. And again, it's subject to debate, and I don't agree with all the, their ideal ranges. But I do think it's a good move for actually informing the patient more on where the ideal ranges are beyond just the, again, the statistical average of people who go to labs, which I don't know about you, but I don't want to be comparing myself to the average person that going to labs. That's not very helpful. Although I think it's, it's hilarious on triglycerides, for example, it said low and she's got 46 triglycerides, which tells me she's really ketogenic if you got that low of yeah. 46 yeah. triglycerides. And they showed the ranges 80 to 115, which I thought was really good because everybody on trigs always says under 150, which is the average as they stated, but they tightened it up for that ideal range. I just, I loved seeing that. I've never seen that on any lab I've ever had run. Yeah, it's, it's a good move for sure. Well, Jeff, thank you again for your question. We're going to pause here real quick. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a quick keto meal that has not just a little bit of protein in it, but also all the electrolytes, vitamins, protein, fat, and more that will meet one third of your daily needs? Then let me introduce you to Keto Chow. It's a quick and easy to mix shake that is designed to give you a complete ketogenic meal. You're able to customize the calories because you decide how much fat to add. Most people mix it with heavy whipping cream, but you can also use avocado oil, coconut cream, a little MCT oil, or any other fat of your choice. Keto Chow is designed specifically for people on the go to replace one to two meals in their day. It comes in eight flavors, including chocolate, vanilla, chocolate peanut butter, cookies and cream, strawberry, mocha, banana, and salted caramel in both individual meal samples as well as a large 21 meal bag. There's also a sample of all the things bundle that has one of each flavor plus a Keto Chow blender bottle to get you started. Head on over to JimmyLovesKetoChow.com and use the coupon code LLVLC to get 10% off of your first order. JimmyLovesKetoChow.com are you looking for high-quality supplements to complement your healthy, low-carb, high-fat, ketogenic lifestyle? Well, look no more as I've teamed up with ketogenic practitioner Dr. Adam Nally to create the Keto Living line of supplements. Go to ketoliving.com to see our Keto Essentials multivitamin and the Berberine Plus blood sugar control formula. Dr. Nally himself hand-selected the key nutrients included in the Keto Essentials multivitamin, including vitamin D, methylated folate for those with the MTHFR gene mutation, vitamin B12, CoQ10, and so much more. And if you are concerned about elevated blood sugar and cholesterol levels, then check out our customized product called Berberine Plus, which combines the anti-inflammatory power of berberine with therapeutic levels of chromium and bonoboli. Go to ketoliving.com to get your hands on these exciting new supplements to enhance your ketogenic diet. KetoLiving.com. We're back here with Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole, and we are up to the second featured question of the day. It's so good to be back in the saddle here answering your questions. And Heather, you've got the next one. Dear Jimmy and Will, I thoroughly enjoy listening to Keto Talk. I've been eating this way for a few months. Really feel great. I've always been sporty and active living at a healthy weight with a good diet. But I've suffered from multiple illnesses over the years, including 
orthostatic hypotension, hypermobility spectrum disorder, psoriasis, and very dry skin, except on my forearms and chins. And she has a dog named Lucky. Much to my amazement, since adopting a keto lifestyle, my balance has completely resolved after two decades of problems with this. Additionally, the psoriasis appears to be settling down now. And after listening to so many of your podcasts, I realize that my multiple illnesses, 10 years of PTSD and eight concussions have caused some major inflammation in my body. So with all this context about who I am, here are my two concerns. Why have my periods stopped since going keto when I've always been regular before? And is this normal hormonal reaction uh, and when should I expect it to restart again? Why is my skin still so dry and will it eventually clear up? Thank you very much for taking the time to answer my questions, Heather. So Heather gets the loaded question of the day. Mm-hmm. Why did I lose my period when I started eating keto and why is my skin still so dry despite eating keto? So two separate questions, a lot of background context there. Mm-hmm. Go. Heather, really good context. So I think that definitely kudos to her. She's trying to, you know, have as much, uh, give us as much information as possible. Uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff to really unpack here. Uh, first of all, with the psoriasis and what's going on there, obviously, um, which with the uh, PTSD as well, I believe yep. they had mentioned as well. Yeah. So with the psoriasis, with this neuroinflammatory issue, there is, for all intents and purposes, probably an autoimmune component. I think we can definitely say that. Um, So there's this inflammation spectrum, which we've talked about on the show before, um, where the end stage is the full-blown autoimmune disease. But then there's this whole autoimmune inflammation spectrum that a lot of people, most of my patients find themselves on, where if it's not a full-blown autoimmune disease, that at least has an autoimmune component here. Um, So one thing, and in the this a person that's asked the question, her symptoms are improving, but she's lost her period. Um, so it may be just an adjustment period where your body is, no pun intended there, it may be a, just an adjustment time um, for your period to re sort of balance and it will come back. That's one potential, okay? But I would say this, is that some women are more sensitive to others as far as these macronutrient changes. And you want to find that carb sweet spot, so to speak. You want to actually find where you function the best and not just with carbs, but your fat intake and protein as a whole. Um, So one tool that you could try to see if it improves your periods and if your periods come back is moderating your carbs slowly, obviously testing your ketones as you moderate and see how you do. And this is about experimenting. This is not saying this is going to be a cure-all for everybody that does that has amenorrhea, but this is just saying this is one tool that I find work, works for some people and obviously everybody is different. But the fact that some women are more sensitive to being uh, basically their, their cycles do better on a little bit higher carbohydrates, they're still in ketosis many times, but they are, the periods are more regular when they are moderating their carbohydrates. So that's one thing to consider. Also, I don't know how much uh, Heather is using intermittent fasting, but I do find that intermittent fasting, which we know is a tool that we use a lot in the ketogenic world, some women are more sensitive to that as well. And that's due to a women having higher levels of something called kispeptin, um, which Kispeptin? creates- 
Kiss Peptin. I haven't heard that one. <laughs> yeah, K-I-S-S-P-E-P-T-I-N. I've written about this before, but some women are more sensitive because of higher Kiss Peptin levels, which creates this sort of greater sensitivity to fasting. And if they're doing intermittent fasting, which a lot of people, you know, I do it every day. Happens spontaneously uh, doing- for a lot, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, right. It's just born out of, I'm not hungry, so I'm not going to eat. So it's, it's done with this. But women that have higher, these higher kiss peptin levels are more sensitive to the effects of fasting while you'll see the benefits of driving inflammation levels down, the metabolism's working better, they're losing weight, all this other good stuff. But then the negative stuff is that their, their period's not coming or their period cycle is thrown off. So at that point, I mean, something to consider is not necessarily throwing, throwing intermittent fasting out, but something called crescendo fasting. Have you heard of that before? I don't know if I've talked about this before. I have Go ahead. Okay. So basically you fast two non-consecutive days. So like just pick two days out of the week, Monday and you know Wednesday, and only do on those fasting days, light exercise. So don't push it too hard. Don't be too aggressive. And on those two days, fast between 12 to 16 hours. And then after a minimum of two weeks, add one more day of fasting to your routine to make it three non-consecutive days. So during this time, for women, I would recommend a few grams, like five, six grams of branched chain amino acids during the fasting times, which either comes in powder form or capsule yeah. form. BCAA is what you might find it yeah. in store. BCAAs. Yeah. Yeah, BCAAs. So it improves the the benefits of intermittent fasting, which we know are great, but kind of mitigates the any downsides. And I with t- a few tweaks, like like the, what I'm talking about right now, typically the period will come back, and it's just a matter of it them personalizing it for their biochemistry. How does that work? Why does the period come back under that? Protocol. Well, I think it's mainly due to the the sensitivity they have to fasting. So you're basically just instead of shoving their body through fasting, you're like gently leading it because of this this again this hypothalamic pituitary ovarian this brain ovarian. Uh, I would say fragility that they're having because of this kispeptin levels where their body is a little bit more sensitive to the impact that fasting can have and that can throw their hormones off. Is there a kispeptin test that people can have run to see where their levels are? No, not that I know of. Again, I'm not a kispeptin expert. I have never heard of it before today, and I've been at this biz for a little while. Yeah, well, hey, guys. I'm glad I brought something to the table here. Well, only Jimmy Uh, Moore probably didn't know. All of you probably knew. But it's a cool word, though, kispeptin. Kispeptin, yeah. So I've written about it before in the past, and it's correlation with certain women that are – like their period cycles being off um, with intermittent fasting. So this crescendo intermittent fasting, which I've written about – on my blog, uh, they can kind of implement that kind of lean into the intermittent fasting world instead of maybe doing something too aggressive. I don't even know if Heather's doing intermittent fasting. Right. It just I'm says just saying keto that, here, right? Yeah. I don't even know that. But I'm just saying that is one common thing that I do find in the ketogenic world with uh, women that are having their lack of periods or extended period lengths. So what about this dry skin issue she, she's still dealing with? So that is interesting. So the gut immune axis, and there's research to show this, but I also see it anecdotally. It takes about two years for the gut immune system to really heal for most people. So it may just be a time thing. That's what I would assume. If I would have put this in context with what I think is going on with her, I would say, obviously, 
running labs, seeing if there's anything else going on here. But as a general rule, the skin can take a long time to while it's improved, it's still not 100%. That I would say to just give it more time. And obviously there's topical things for you to do. You can use coconut oil and there's a lot of good natural oil-based um, skincare products out there to mitigate the itchiness or the you know the dryness while your body is healing. Yeah. Because there is psoriasis going on, I would assume, and again, this is related to this autoimmune inflammation going yes. on. Yeah. Yeah, Christine deals with psoriasis, although keto has definitely helped it tremendously, but she'd get really dry skin. So, yeah, pretty typical. Those two go together. Heather, thank you for your questions. Eight concussions. Did you play quarterback in the National Football League at one point? <laughs> I saw that and went, whoa. Yeah, wow. But uh, keto helps traumatic brain injuries uh, very, very well. So uh, yeah. good luck to you, Heather. Well, we are up to the third featured question. And if you hadn't noticed, we've missed being here. So we're going a little bit longer than normal today. Don't get used to that, you guys. We're we're a one-hour show <laughs> typically. So <laughs> Will will yell at me because he's got patience to see after this is over usually. So Jackie has the next one. Hi, Jimmy and Dr. Cole. I recently figured out that I have hyperparathyroidism, which is or not hypothyroid, but hyperparathyroid, because I kept having high calcium levels and ended up in the hospital with AFib. I started researching everything I could about this condition and what could be contributing to it. And now I'm wondering if my continued insulin resistance and the need for insulin, despite being keto for several years, might have somehow uh, might be somehow related to my surprise. A search on hyperparathyroidism and insulin resistance brought up some interesting information on this subject. Can you explain in everyday language what the connection might be between this condition and IR and if there is a reason to have hope that this might play a role in my insulin resistance improving more now that I have the bad gland removed? I'm only a couple of weeks out of surgery, but other symptoms I was experiencing have already gotten much better. I'm just really hoping this will be yet another benefit, and I want to better understand how high calcium levels can impact insulin resistance. Thanks for your help. Help. Jackie. So Jackie asks, can you explain the relationship between insulin resistance and high calcium levels in easy to understand language? Yes, I'll try my best. Give, <laughs> I'll give, slow give him down grace. if he doesn't, Jackie. Grace. Yeah. <laughs> so hyperparathyroidism, again, not to be confused with hypothyroidism. This is the parathyroid that's like little like um, thyroid uh, baseball caps. So like sitting next to the, the thyroid and they regulate calcium is the main you know, reason that, you know, why we're talking about them in context yeah. with insulin resistance. So, yes, people with hyperparathyroidism. Uh, typically, it's found by increased levels of calcium levels in the blood, like a blood test. They have a two to four increased risk of type 2 diabetes. Wow. So that is definitely true. It increases your rate of insulin resistance. The question is how I and mean, why this is happening. What's the actual pathway issue going on here? So when your parathyroidism is overactive, this tends to, not for everybody, it's just a two to four increased rate. So I don't, not everybody with hyperparathyroidism has diabetes or insulin resistance. There's just an increased rate of it. But it stimulates these calcium channels to basically bring calcium into the actual cells itself. So that can influence insulin sensitivity, influences high blood pressure, hypertension, so by increasing this calcium inside the cell, intracellular calcium levels, so more calciums inside our cells, it's been shown to decrease the effects of insulin in fat cells and adipocytes. So due to the redu reduced number of something called glucose transporters, basically 
cells that carry glucose into the cell or GLUT4 cells and decrease insulin receptor activity. So all to say this, just in maybe in clearer terms, mm-hmm. it increases insulin resistance and it messes up insulin receptor sites. Um, there's a little bit more than just that, but that's the main thing. It's it's decreasing the effectiveness of insulin receptor sites. So interestingly enough, that there are studies to show that increased dietary calcium yeah. doesn't have the same effect. So it's this hyperparathyroidism that's sort of basically shoving calcium into the cells and it's impacting glucose transport and it's impacting insulin receptor sites, both contributing to insulin resistance. Where's the calcium coming from if not diet? Well, their their parathyroidism, the parathyroid is producing it. It's it's overproducing it, you're saying? Overproducing, yeah. So they typically have to go in for a procedure to, and this person asked the question, as far as I, the last time I read the question, they did they did have that removed as yes. well, basically calm that down. That's right. And that's, that's typical uh, for hyperparathyroidism. Um, but then it's at that point, what she's hoping for is now that she's dealt with the hypercalcium levels, is the insulin resistance going to improve? And I would say, yes, there's definitely going to help the situation. How it may not, not be enough. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, right. It's going to help it for sure. You may have to do more than just getting your parathyroid out. There may be other remnant damage that's been done, but yeah. I definitely it's going to help the situation for sure. And, and as with most people with insulin resistance, Jackie, it's probably a multifaceted thing. And this is just one piece of the puzzle, a big one for you. So congratulations on figuring this out. I don't know if I would ever suspect hyperparathyroid as <laughs> as a, a contributor to my insulin resistance. So uh, good for her for finding this, although she did end up in the hospital with an AFib because of this. And I, I guess that was the wake up call of, oh, my goodness, yeah. I have this condition that I never knew about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jackie, thank you for your question. And we are up to the Keto Talk mailbox portion of the show. I always save a really fun question for this one. And this one comes from Blaine. Hey, Jimmy and Dr. Cole, you guys can count me as another person who has experienced vocal issues that have popped up since starting on the ketogenic diet. I started eating keto in July. And by September last year, I noticed my voice started sounding fuzzy like a very old man you've previously addressed this issue before stating that a common culprit is coffee consumption but i don't drink very much coffee and in fact a lot less since i went keto i also don't eat chocolate or peppermint any clue why i sound like the old guy in the up movie (laughs) thanks for your help blaine now dr uh nally and i actually addressed this way long time ago will uh why did my voice change to sound like an old man since i started eating keto. So that's where Blaine came up with the coffee, chocolate, and peppermint, because those were the common culprits that uh, that Adam had mentioned. But we're going to give you a chance to answer this question. What say you? So there's obviously many potential reasons. But one thing that I've seen clinically with my patients in the past, that's not super common, but it's I have seen it. I can't even think of the last time, but it's probably been a year or so since I've seen it. But basically, mucus in our throat, mucus in our intestines, mucus in our bodies, it's the main sort of compound that it's made from is something called mucins. Uh, it's appropriately named, right? Mucus and mucins. But it, mucins, this compound that ma- mucus is made from is primarily made of sugar. So they typically just have higher amounts of larger sugar chains bound to this protein uh, compound, which is what makes up mucins. So it's just a protein sugar compound. For some people, 
gluconeogenesis, making sugar from proteins and in their in the ketogenic diet is not sufficient enough for their body to produce adequate amounts of mucins after being in ketosis a long period of time where they're fine for a while, but then their gluconeogenesis isn't as, you know, efficient enough to produce the mucins amount. And that's uh, can manifest as having not enough mucus in their body. They're so their voice having, isn't lubricated at that point. Exactly. Right. So it's showing up as hoarseness, dry throat, their eyes can be dry, um, their intestinal, maybe constipation issues because of a lack of mucus in the body, which is, again, comprised in part uh, of sugar. Uh, so this lower glucose level in, for these people, and again, this is just genetic biochemical variability. Everybody's a little bit different. So these lower levels of sugar, also something to consider is vitamin D. Vitamin D, things like iodine, selenium, these are also needed for mucin production. So it may not, may not be a low carb problem. It may be a vitamin D deficiency or iodine deficiency or selenium deficiency. So I don't want to just say it's just that uh, sugar. So, so try experimenting with getting your numbers tested as far as serum iodine, you can get selenium tested. You can get vitamin D tested. You, If you don't want to get tested, you could try moderating your carbs a little bit, testing your ketones, see where you're at, see if that improves your symptoms. But all, I would get those nutrients tested just to see if that's a problem too because it may just be a compounding problem where you're having, yes, a decrease of glucose, but it's not just that. It's just a perfect storm. You also have an iodine deficiency, a vitamin D deficiency, selenium. It could be all of that in this perfect storm that's, that's contributing to the decrease of the mucin production. So that to me would be the top of my list of what I would look into for not any, not just anybody going through a throat problem, which is what the person asking the question, but anybody that's having dry dryness as a whole is looking at those those nutrients in conjunction with uh, the glucose issue. But so another idea would be getting your microbiome tested, getting your gut tested, looking at for things like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is associated in the medical literature to acid reflux and GERD, which for some people can manifest as the hoarseness. They're not having the you know classic whatever, like the burping or like the the heartburn, it's not feet, they're not feeling it as heartburn. They're just noticing that their voice is, is hoarse. Um, that wouldn't be really a, a ketogenic problem. That would just be they have an underlying gut problem and they're starting to notice this now. So that's a little bit different. So, but, you know, kind of getting, those are some things to think about if you're going through that. When I put together these questions today, I had no idea that two of them would have a vitamin D component in the answer. So that, that's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it's responsible for over 200 different genetic pathways, super important. And it's deficient for a lot, most of the world, not right. just people eating a keto diet. But when your metabolism shifting, you want to make sure your nutrients are on point so your body can be the best it can be. Did I ever tell you, Christine, the first time we ever measured her vitamin D3 levels, it came back nine Wow. <laughs> which is ungodly low. Yeah. Um, and she was on Paxil at the time and several other antipsychotic and, and, and depression and anxiety attacks and all this kind of medication. And we started putting her on high dose vitamin D and checked every few months, like you mentioned earlier. And we got her up to like 60 and she came off of every single one of those medications that those wow. doctors had put her on. Wow. That's awesome. That's the power of vitamin D. Yeah. Well, Blaine, I hope you can stop talking like this soon. I love Up, by the way. It's I know. A, that's a, a fun movie. It's, a, it's a, a little bit of a dated reference now. It's a little old now. But yes, that was fun. 
I had to go look up the old man on up just to see what he was talking about. <laughs> oh, I've I've been my my I'm staff get you here. In there. My staff makes fun of me here, and they call me an old man, and they 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 equate me with the old man on up, but not for my voice, just the fact that I have. <laughs> I'm in my 30s and I act like I'm in my 60s. Well, and see, here's the thing. You have two little girls, so you're very contemporary yeah. with Up. I have no reason yeah. why I watched Up other than I just wanted to watch it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a boy and a girl, but it's okay, though, Jimmy. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You have two kids. I knew it was yeah, my kids. My son would be so annoyed with me if I didn't correct you with that. So. <laughs> Thank you for correcting me. What, what is his name? Solomon, like the king. Solomon, Solomon. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> people say that a lot. You know why people say that? It's because I take more pictures of my daughter you than I do, do my take son. take a lot of pictures yes, with your little girl. And that's because she's eight and she likes her t- pictures taken and my son's too cool for dad's Instagram. <laughs> and so she's a beautiful girl, so you've done well. Thanks. Well, Thanks. your wife has done well because Jeanette. Yeah, I can't take credit for that. <laughs> well, Blaine, thank you for that question. And we are up to the Apple Podcast Reviews uh, section of the show. We got several good over the holidays. Uh, Joni wrote, Dr. Cole is a great addition to an already great podcast. I love all of Jimmy's podcasts, but keto is not the same as LCHF. And if you're looking for more specific info, this one is a great one. It's not as long as the signature Living La Vida Low Carb show, so it's easy to find time for, except for today. We went a little long. Uh, yeah. I loved Dr. Nally. I still miss him, but Dr. Cole has won my loyalty now also. He's such a welcome wealth of knowledge and the functional health aspect is a helpful backdrop to all the discussions because you get info on the whole picture. Great interaction between the two. They cover the base as well between them. This is my go-to podcast, and you should consider making it one of yours, Joni. So Joni's a longtime listener of Live in La Vida, so thank you for that, Joni. And Dr. Nels has the second one. I'm a fairly new listener to this podcast. It is quickly becoming one of my favorites. As a newer functional medicine practitioner myself, it's great to learn from Dr. Cole and have the insight to the hows and whys of his expertise. Jimmy adds humor and additional keto knowledge to make these two a great duo. Thanks for what you guys do. So thank you guys for those great, incredible, awesome uh, ways to start the new year with these reviews. And if you'd like to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, head on over to iTunes and uh, just type it in. doesn't take long. Those in like three or four sentences is all it takes. And if you really do like the show, it helps people uh, find the show who need to hear it the most. Well, guys, that is it for episode 93 of Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. And yeah, don't get used to 75 minutes for a podcast. (laughs) I do five a week now, Will. So uh, no, (laughs) we're not doing 75 minute for one. So, But uh, it's always a pleasure to be with you guys here. KetoTalk.com is our website. If you missed anything we talked about, we have full show notes there. And engage with your fellow Ketonians. And I post all of the stuff that we talked about here on the show at KetoTalkFB.com. If you want to chime in and give your feedback about what you heard. But uh, any final words of wisdom to kick off this new year, Dr. Cole? Let's let's uh, this is off the cuff, but I would say let's make 2018 just a positive year for everybody listening here. Let's just be lights to the world and let's start with the foods that we're eating and making ourselves feel the best we can feel and share this in love with the, with the ones we love because we want them around here, around here too. Yes. So I don't know. I think 2018 can be great and let's let's kick it off 
on this show. It's January, so people have plenty of time to prepare for this, but I want everybody that's listening to commit that you're going to grow a garden. If you've never done gardening before, grown a vegetable garden, commit that this is the year you're going to do it. Now, if you live in Florida, you might not want to put it in the front yard, but in the backyard, you can. <laughs> but uh, I think that would be cool if we got yeah. like, uh, pe- people to send us their pictures of the garden. Yes. Of course, you got plenty of time, guys. I'm telling you in January so that by the time March and April rolls around when you want to plant, you get it in the ground. And I know some yeah. of you might be scared, but I was skeptical too four or five years ago, and now I've got the biggest garden in South Carolina. <laughs> I love it. So Let's and, do it. Yeah, let's do it, man. Well, we will be back here again next Thursday. We're going to try to be here pretty consistently for most of 2018. Thanks for letting us off the last two months. I don't know about you, Will, but it was fun to kind of recharge and kind of get the juices back flowing again, and we're ready to go. Yeah, let's go. So, guys, we'll see you again next Thursday. You've been listening to Keto Talk with Jimmy Moore and Dr. Will Cole. Visit our website, ketotalk.com, for full show notes for this episode. If you love Keto Talk, then drop us a review at iTunes. Thanks for joining us for today's episode, and we'll see you again next Thursday. Disc of Light.